0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast, I'm Jared Boomer
1: And I'm Katie Ganey This is a podcast about movies and pop culture
0: Hey Katie, how are you today?
1: I am doing well, thank you so much, loving spring
0: Yes, it is uh, like 80 degrees today here in Indiana, so it's very nice Yesterday it was 40, um, so if you're not from the Midwest, that's a typical thing that happens in the Midwest is One day it'll snow and the next day we'll have tornadoes, because that's how it works out here, so... <laughs> Very fun. Uh, So, yes, it is spring. And with spring, we obviously have some big movies coming out down the road, which we're going to tell you about a little bit later on in the podcast, kind of our upcoming review schedule of kind of what we're going to try to hit um, in the next couple of months. But because it's spring right now, there's not really anything out that was totally pressing to go see and to check out. So today, we're going to review um, If Beale Street Could Talk, which is a movie directed by Barry Jenkins. Um, and it is based on a book by James Baldwin. And it's on Hulu right now, which we have to, I think we have to give a shout out to Hulu because they've had some some good movies hit their streaming service here in the last couple weeks. Absolutely. I mean free, free Solo was off of Hulu and now they have a Beale Street talk. Cata- also I saw Quiet Places on there too. So if you haven't seen a Quiet Place, mm-hmm. you can and check it out.
1: They uh, have RBG which is the documentary I wanted to see too and then that Identical the Triplet one.
0: Yeah, those is are also all on Hulu. All on Hulu right now. This is not an ad for Hulu, but just <laughs> just telling you <laughs> they're that they're They're not paying us yet. <laughs> not yet, but I mean Hulu if you want to throw some money our way feel free. So here we are. Uh, so, we're going to talk about If Beale Street Could Talk. This movie came out the end of 2018 and was kind of a big contender in a lot of awards shows, a lot of awards talk. This is a very awardsy type movie. Um, and it, you can definitely tell from watching it that that's kind of, you know, the theme of it and what they set out to do. And I don't know about you, Katie, but you watched this on Hulu. Was this ever in theaters where you were in Dayton? Was it ever yeah. in a theater there? Okay.
1: It was but there's there's a really cool theater here called the neon that is definitely a shout out um and they they put all the cool like um art more artsy okay movies that they would have on the north side of indianapolis at the art cinema they do that kind of thing here at the neon it's only got two theaters in it but okay. it's so cute and they even put up a sign the day after the Oscars because Hannah Beachler, she won for um, production yes. design for uh, Black, uh, Black Panther. Black Panther, yeah. And they put a sign up for her the next day. So they're definitely like very, they're pro films and really want to get kind of the, the harder ones to go see that are not wide released necessarily. They put them here. So they very had cool. it here, but I did not get a chance to see it because I was trying to see all the Best Picture nominees and this one got snubbed. So I put it off my list until now to watch it.
0: That makes sense. Um, they did come where I'm in mean, Lafayette. Um, it did come to Lafayette for, I think, a week. One theater had it. We have three theaters here, which is kind of interesting because the town's not that big, but we do have three movie theaters. Um, and uh, it was in one of them for, I think, a week. So I was able to get to it and see it then. But it was kind of hard. It wasn't in theaters that long in you know the Midwest. Obviously, if you're on one of the coast, LA or New York, you probably had a better chance to see it just because they kind of have more theaters for those types of movies like we were talking about. So, um, But now it's on Hulu, so you can watch it on Hulu, and you can check it out. And so let's just talk a little bit about this movie, what it's about, and kind of your initial thoughts going into it. What did you think this movie was going to kind of be about? And had you read the book by James Baldwin before before you saw this movie?
1: I did not read the book because I actually did not know it was based on a book until right before I saw it. Um, Okay. I usually don't do that. As a rule, I usually read the book first. I don't like to see the movie and then have those characters in my mind. Um, But it made me interested in reading the book, too, because I I do like to see, you know, what what they kept true to the book and what they kind of artistically changed and everything Hollywood did. Um, But, yeah, James Baldwin wrote the book. I had told Jared, so I wanted to share with all of you, there was a weird... Um, so at the beginning of the movie, they did like a like a quote and they were talking, it was from the book James Baldwin wrote, and it was saying something about Beale Street in New Orleans. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I've been to New Orleans. I wonder where that is. Yeah. And I've been a couple times. And then I looked it up and I'm not the only one that's confused about this because I thought Beale Street was in Memphis because there's the famous song and I love uh, Memphis. And I looked it up and I'm not the only one that's confused. Uh, there is no Beale Street in New Orleans and... As far as I could tell, and Jared tried to look too, we could not find exactly why this is named if Beale Street could talk. Um, so I don't, I don't mean to say that to not get our facts straight, but it sounds like other people online are confused about this as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that was like a private meaning that he had, but the Beale Street, if anybody is confused about that as well, we at least can confirm Beale Street is indeed in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and to make things book? even
0: more confusing, this book yeah. and movie is set in Harlem, Harlem New York. So, right.
1: So, so <laughs> strange. So, I, I will say that didn't ruin the movie or anything for me. If anything, I loved it more because it was in Harlem in the 70s. But that did confuse me for a little bit. So, it kind of took me out. At the beginning, I was confused, like, kind of, like, trying to Google and look up what's going on with this, um, the setting and everything. So, that was weird. But I... I thought the movie was beautiful. I think that's going to come across while we talk about it. But I, I knew it was about I knew there was going to be some racial tension situations. I knew that it was about a young pregnant couple and that he was falsely accused of something and went to prison. So I kind of knew that going into it. Um, and I wasn't disappointed. The movie was excellent.
0: It was really good. And we'll talk more in detail about it. But yeah, as you said, Katie, that's basically the the plot line for it is um, it follows a young African American woman named uh, Tish Clementine Tish Rivers, who with her family support seeks to clear the name of her wrongly charged lover who is named uh, Alonzo Fani hunt, um, and then basically prove his innocence before the birth of their child. So that's kind of what happens throughout the course of this movie. It's also told in a non-linear fashion, um, which is something I think if you watch the movie and don't know that going in, it may be good to know just because the things that happen in the movie don't actually happen in the order that they occurred. So yes. there's, you got to kind of pay attention and see which part of the timeline that they're in. And I also wanted to ask you too, this book by James Baldwin came out in 1974, obviously has not been adapted into a movie before Barry Jenkins decided to do it in 2018. And he started working on the script for this in 2013. But what do you think about that? That this book came out all the way back in the 70s. Nobody really touched it for 40 years. And then Barry Jenkins comes, comes on and says, I'm going to make a movie out of that. That's something that I just don't think you see very often. Because usually, if a book comes out, and it's very popular, it gets a movie in the next couple of years. Um, or it's you know, if they remake a movie, it's because it was a very popular book or whatever the case may be. But this book... Was popular, but it's not like I'm, I'm an amazingly classic book from the 70s. Um, but I thought it was interesting that Barry Jenkins said, "No, this is what I'm going to make. This is my next project because I really like this book."
1: Yeah, that's a, you bring up a really good point because I agree with you. Even um, the list we, we were, were going to talk about later today, I looked at how quickly movies are adapted into movies after the books come out. And it's like immediate. It's within years. Yeah. <laughs> um, like three years. So like as quickly as they can get the funding and make it. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Although, and it's more interesting to me because I read about what people said about this book and people cannot praise James Baldwin enough. They're calling him like a literary genius. They just say it's such a good piece of writing, which also makes me want to read it more. So it's very strange to me. They didn't make it into a film. Although sometimes I, I want literary works to just stand on their own. But I do think it took someone probably like Barry Jenkins to make this because I am sure he's getting more money now Um, to produce films because he's just getting more and more notoriety and is doing such a good job. But I also think it's good to hear from a black man to tell this perspective in his own way. And I think this could actually be really positive that this kind of stuff is happening now because we obviously in the news are getting a lot of negative stuff about racial tensions and racial problems in America. So I think it's great that that's one great thing about 2019. We are getting more movies like this that are about African-American culture or Indian culture, Asian culture. So I think that's good. Maybe it just had to wait until now to be able to make films like this.
0: And you mentioned the budget too. And mm-hmm. uh, Moonlight, which is Barry Jenkins' kind of first big movie, obviously won the Academy Award for Best Picture. That had a budget of $4 million and made $65 million worldwide. This one had a budget of $12 million. So again... Three times the budget, basically, to do with what you want. And then it made $20.5 million at the box office. So, not as big of a success as Moonlight, but Moonlight also did win Best Picture. And once a movie wins Best Picture, new it goes back in theaters, like you saw with Green Book this year, and then it can make some more money and, and so forth. So, but I thought it was interesting that, you know, he had a little bit more money. You can tell that he's using a little bit more of different places, different sets in this movie, a few more cast of characters in this one than in Moonlight, um, and some interesting choices. Um, um definitely for this film so Let's talk about it, I guess, a little bit more um, Just from an awards perspective So this was, Regina King Basically is the one from this movie That stood out In kind of all the the awards talk So she yes. won Best Supporting Actress for um, Her role at the Academy Awards And also the Golden Globes, and she won it You have a list too, Katie, she won it at some other things as well All the all the basically big awards That yes. occur So
1: I love Regina King, so I was I had looked back too, because I remembered what I'd seen her in but i looked just to double check but she's been in so much i didn't even write it all down she's been in i know i saw her in mighty joe young which is way back (laughs) jerry Maguire. she was in miss congeniality 2 and legally blonde 2 both good uh you know sequels yes in my opinion they're not the best but i like them uh the movie ray i definitely remember her ray um, with Jamie Fox, and then she was also in a couple episodes of Shameless, too, which is one of my favorite TV shows. Very cool,
0: and I've watched so. Um, so I watched the first and second season of American Crime, which she's in. Um, which oh, god! Yeah. That show's no longer on TV anymore, but I really liked it, and it's really good if you can find it. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but if you can I find it somewhere. I really like that.
1: That's it, right.
0: It's good, and the second season actually takes place in Indianapolis, which is interesting, so each the seasons don't really connect to each other, but some of the same um, actors and actresses played different roles in the different seasons but she was in that as well and was i thought she was very good so but she's she's
1: fantastic and she won so many uh i had told jared earlier so she won get ready for it this is this is all for best supporting actress (laughs) this last year new york film critics circle award independent spirit award national society of film critics award satellite award critics choice award golden globe and the oscar so just a a little bit yeah. She had to
0: get another mantle to put yes. all those on. she got so. a whole one now, for sure. Yes, exactly. So And then the film in general was nominated for Best Motion Picture Drama and Best Screenplay at the uh, 76th Golden Globes. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Original Score at the Academy Awards. And then the National Board of Review and also the American Film Institute included it in their Top 10 Films of 2018 list, which those are two big organizations. Um, AFI does the uh, 100 Movies list that a lot of people will, if they're kind of new, to film, or want to really hit kind of all the classics and all the big cultural films of all time, you'll watch kind of all the films on the AFI Top 100 list. So they put I it. Did as... It. You done did it, and I've not done it. So it
1: took me two years.
0: Nice. So that brings me to my question for you, Katie. Do you think this should have been nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars? Now, if you don't know, uh, the new rules at the Academy Awards say that you can nominate a minimum of five movies for Best Picture and a maximum of 10. And this year, only eight movies were nominated for Best Picture. So there was room for two more in there. Do you think this should have taken maybe the ninth or tenth spot and been in the consideration for, for Best Picture at the Oscars?
1: I I do. I wish they would have put it in there. I don't know why they wouldn't have if they had two extra spaces. Yeah. Now, do I think it was a serious contender up against some of the ones like Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody, etc.? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But, that's kind of what
0: I think too. It's like yeah. if you had if they had had ten movies in the slots and all ten movies had been great movies, mm-hmm. and then you say this gets left out, okay, that's understandable. But the fact that they only had eight and they didn't right. choose to throw this in one of the two slots is kind of interesting to me because just just for the fact that even if you're nominated for best picture, you can now say in your filmography or you know when you kind of pitch yourself for other roles, hey, I was in this movie, it was nominated for best picture. Barry Jenkins can say, hey, both my movies have been nominated for best picture. Um, things like that, so right, it, it carries a lot
1: more weight, for yeah. Sure, than so it just saying it was critically acclaimed. You're like you can't, that doesn't carry as much weight as nominate for an Oscar.
0: So let's run down now. We've talked about the awards a little bit. Let's run down the cast for this movie. Um, so we have Kiki Lane, who plays Clementine Tish Rivers. Stephon Mm -hmm. James as Alonzo Fonnie Hunt. These are kind of the big players in this. Regina King as Sharon Rivers, who is Tisha's mom. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry as Daniel, who is um, Fonnie's friend. I really liked his role. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, And then Coleman Domingo as Joseph Rivers is Kiki's dad. I really loved him as well in this movie. And then you also have little cameos from Diego Luna. Um, Dave Franco shows up for a few minutes as well. Um, So I wanted to ask you about the cast because besides Regina King and also Brian, Brian Tyree Henry in the last couple of years, but he's really only in the movie for 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, The main cast in this, Kiki Lane has really been in nothing um, besides this. And then Stefan James has done some stuff. He was in Selma. Um, He was in the TV show Homecoming, which I think is on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as major feature films, he hasn't been in a lot either. So what do you think about that decision by Barry Jenkins and casting director to kind of be like, we're going to go with some some unknowns in this movie and kind of the lead roles?
1: I... I love that he does that. I think he is a lot like Jordan Peele in that they, they're not going to pick mainstream people. I think to some extent you have to, to get funding, which is unfortunate, but mm-hmm. it makes sense. But I think he's doing that intentionally. Um, Kiki was perfect in her role. I really liked that made me want to see her in other things. So I went to see what else she's been in. So although she hasn't really been in anything major yet, she has already two other movies coming out this okay. year. And then they're called captive state and native son, but I didn't see descriptions or anything. Um, Stefan James is very handsome. I saw that he's Canadian. So I had not, I'm probably one of the only people that didn't see Selma. I feel bad. I think that was just overlooked. It was not on my radar. And then I just, time has passed, but definitely want to see Selma. And I'd also like to visit um, that. And then um, I'm trying to think Finn Whitrock. He was in it. He, I mainly caught like a bunch of people, their connections, like uh, Regina King, What did I, didn't I say? Oh, she had been in, um, boys in the hood and we were looking up. you and I were looking up the directors and John Singleton, who was, who directed her in boys in the hood was nominated for best director, but did not win, but also Barry Jenkins. It's the same kind of connection. Then like I saw, um, Pedro Pascal, he's in game of Thrones and I thought, Oh, that's so funny that he, that we see him in this movie and then game of Thrones is about to start its final season and then things like uh, Dave Franco—that was the most random choice for me. Yeah, um, I and I like Dave much better than I'm. I'm not a fan of his brother, um, James. But Dave, I really have no qualms about. But I just thought that was the most random pick. Diego Luna and stuff—we've seen him in Rogue One. He's been in quite a few things, so none of those people surprised me. And then Finn Wittrock—I feel like he's just getting more popular. So yeah. he gets these little bit pieces. He was in the assassination of Gianni Versace, stuff like that. For he was in La a La brief La time, Land
0: for a few minutes. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: always brief. But Dave Franco, to me, I was like, "What? What are you doing here?" But yeah. his character was very sweet. He added a nice. Um, I remember he was the landlord guy that was trying to sell them the loft, and he was basically just commenting on, "I don't care what color you are. I'm just happy to have you here, and I love seeing people in love." And I thought, what a sweet moment. He so he played a really nice character. Um, but I do think, I'm sorry, the short answer is I believe that uh, <laughs> that that um, Barry Jenkins is very intentional with who he's picking and that he's not going to pick mainstream people because he doesn't need to. And we should get new people, like new faces out there. It shouldn't just be one size fits all in Hollywood.
0: Which I, uh, which I definitely love from him as far as him taking that casting kind of approach in kind of everything that he's done. Because even when you mm-hmm. look at Moonlight as well, um, you have people in that movie that were basically unknowns before. I mean, this that film came out. I mean, that's kind of one of the first, first big things that Mahershala Ali was in. Yes. Um, and now, obviously, multiple-time Oscar winner. Uh, he's been in a lot of stuff since then, but... As far as like a big movie role, that was one of his his first kind of things that he was in um, mm-hmm. as far as like a leading type type role. And then, of course, he was in Hidden Figures and Green Book and he was in Spider-Man this year and I love Mahershala. Um, all kinds of stuff. So it's really interesting his casting choices. I do have to agree um, that Barry Jenkins makes for his movies. So now that and there was oh, one other,
1: I'm so sorry. There was one other guy that I had to look up the officer bell. Who's the mean cop. In yes. The movie because this was another connection that I thought was strange. I didn't remember this, but then I saw on IMDB, he was also in game of Thrones. He's only in a couple episodes. Um, but he was so creepy. Like, I think it's his face. and I didn't want to judge his face, but everything about like his jawline and his cheekbones and stuff, just, he, he just gave me creepy vibes, um, so it made sense. They, they cast him perfectly as an evil racist cop, but um, wow, he played that to the help. But he must know Pedro from Game of Thrones, but they were on it at completely different times, but just another connection there.
0: I have never really watched Game of Thrones, but mm-hmm. like, are there like 150 people in each episode of Game of oh, Thrones? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's I'm nice. sorry,
1: I don't know if I said the guy's name. It's Ed Screen. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but the actor is Ed Screen. He played Officer Bell in this movie. Very cool. Very creepy.
0: (laughs) Um, Yes. So let's talk a little bit too. We talked about kind of the plot of the movie is kind of self-explanatory. Basically, what happens, as we mentioned, is Tish and Fonny, um, Tish gets pregnant with Fonny's child. Fonny goes to jail for a crime that he did not commit. And then Regina King's mom, or uh, Tish's mom, who's played by Regina King, her name's Sharon in the movie, she kind of goes to try and clear up this crime and really works hard on this um, to try and clear Fonny's name, which I thought, one, from just, a family aspect is, is very cool that the fact that um, Tish and Fani are not married when they get pregnant. Um, and then Regina King is like f- fully embraces it and is like, yes, I'll do anything that we need to, to get Fonny out of jail and I will fight for you and I will work hard to make sure that you get, you know, the life that you deserve and you're not in jail um, and, and things like that. So I thought that was really interesting just from a character perspective. I think that's one the, why she won the Oscar and so many other awards too, is just because her character had so much depth and was such a great role to play that I feel like pretty much anybody in that role probably would have at least been considered for awards just because of the way the character is written and how well it comes across on screen and how much you feel for that character but i thought that was really really interesting kind of thing that you saw and this book was written back in the 70s so the fact that you know in those in that time the culture was different um definitely from the from where it is today but the fact that there's just so much sense of community and helping one another in this film was something that i really i really liked
1: I did, too. I, I don't think we're... I know we're going to talk about favorite scenes, um, but that's definitely one that, that I had marked down was the scene where she's comforting her daughter. So we'll get back into it. But I, I completely agree with you. She was just perfect in that role. And, and it was um, definitely a different time period. I'm sure the community in Harlem was more tight-knit maybe than even some other areas in the United States. And they really focused... To me, it seemed like they focused on family and race. And it wasn't really... I didn't see any inkling about Vietnam or Watergate or anything else going on at that time. It really, that movie focused on just the community, that family and the racial tension.
0: That is a good point. I hadn't really noticed that. But yeah, it's really just focused on the community, like you said, in Harlem and kind of what's happening with that and things going on in that neighborhood specifically. So it's set on a very small scale. When yeah. At that time in the world, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on, but they don't really feel the need to include that in this book or in this movie because it's really just focusing on these right. two two characters. So um, let's talk a little bit, too. You mentioned the favorite scenes. Let's talk about some of our favorite scenes in the movie. I have three or two, sorry, that really stick out to me. What are what were your some of your favorite? favorite scenes in this movie
1: oh well perfect I had three as well Um, the first one I won't dwell on it was the one you mentioned so there's a scene where Kiki's character Tish is having a bad dream and she's heavily pregnant at this point I think she's like seven or eight months along and the mom comes in to comfort her and Regina King is just so sweet it seems so authentic and genuine and just like what a mom would do whether she wasn't upset when she found out her daughter was pregnant and out of wedlock and all that which is just so sweet And she just seems to embrace it the whole way through. And she said, you're never alone when you're, even when you're in this room and you're asleep, you're not alone because you've got this baby with you. You'll always have this baby with you. That was so touching. And it's, it's what I would want to hear. You know, if I was pregnant and scared or if I was having a bad dream, I don't know. That's just like totally what you want a mom to say. And then the two other things, these were small but well, one scene was crazy Um. It just made an impression on me. I didn't like it, but it made an impression on me, which is why I wrote it down. There's a scene when Fonny's parents, so Fonny's already been arrested, and his family, his sisters and everybody, come over to Tish's family's house for a lovely dinner and an evening, and Fonny's family is, his mother is not having it. She is so upset. She is very, very religious to the point where she is not okay with the situation, not happy about the pregnancy, calls Tish inappropriate names. And the father, Fonny's father, slaps her across the face and slaps her on the floor. That's
0: one of my favorite scenes, too. One of the two.
1: The tension. I was so uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable because they used the N-word. They used the C-word. They used, like, and the families just hated each other. I don't even know, actually. Tish's family didn't seem to hate the family. They were just like, you shouldn't treat our daughter this way. Yeah. This is something we should be happy about. And then when the dad, I didn't even think about it anymore. After the dad hit the mom, I thought, this is crazy. And then Tish's dad is like, let's go get a beer somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they, they just leave. They were out. I
1: think out. in the 70s, that seems more, that does seem more like what was going on. We've seen it in the 60s in Mad Men. We've seen it in all these shows. Mm-hmm. This is not unusual behavior for that time, but it was shocking to watch.
0: And I loved that scene, too, just because it really felt like it was playing out kind of like a play. You had all yeah. these actors and you could tell that Barry Jenkins was kind of like, OK, we're going to try to get this in, you know, one or two takes if we can and kind of play the whole scene out all the way through. Right. And really, everybody just hits their marks so well. And like you said, Tish is great in that scene. The two men are great in that scene. Um, Fonny's mom. Basically, everybody is at their best in that scene. And I love in that scene, too, at the end of it, um, Fonny's mom is leaving and Regina King's character, Sharon says, "You know, who who cares how this baby got here? You know, it yeah. wasn't the baby's decision. It's it, you're going to have a grandchild. That's that's some people don't get that. So you should be, you know, uh, pleased and honored that you get to have a grandchild in your life and just really celebrate that. And I thought that was very interesting at the end of the scene to be like, we should be proud that this is happening. We should be excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, again, set back in the '70s, so." Two people getting pregnant, pregnant out of wedlock is still, I would say, somewhat controversial today, much more so in the 70s. So the fact that Regina King, again, is just so supportive and is like, you know, we should we should really care for this child and we should be happy that this child is coming into the world. But, yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes as well. And then what was your what was your third favorite scene?
1: Oh, and I wanted to say that scene, too. I thought um, so Tiana Paris plays Ernestine Rivers. So she's Tisha's sister. I thought she stole that scene because she gets up in Fonny's sister's face and has some language, but has words with her, but she had a really small part, but I thought a very significant um, part in the film. So I, I wanted to give a heads up to her cause she was the, I, she was my favorite in that, that heated scene. My last scene, it's so small. It wasn't even a scene. There is a scene going on in the film um, where Fonny and Tish have just started dating and she said that she knew he loved her because he brought a sculpture over to her mom. Cause I guess they've grown up together. They've yeah. known each other, they've never had romantic feelings for each other. And then suddenly they just start dating. So she says he brought that sculpture. That was sweet. And then she said they're walking down the street and he was holding her hand. And she said, he held my hand. Even when he turned away, he was talking to somebody else. And I thought that was just so sweet. And I could tell, Barry Jenkins was trying to tell, you know, obviously a story about race and, and the 70s and how different everything was, but he was also telling a love story. And it seems to me, although sex is obviously involved and they they made a baby and all this stuff, this scene is really ultimately about love and two people who are faithful to each other the entire way through. So I thought it was a beautiful story, but that, that he just panned in on their hands and Fonny is holding Tish's hand even when he's talking to somebody else and turned away. Beautiful.
0: That is a really sweet scene. And then yeah. my other one that I really loved is when Brian Tyree Henry shows up. He plays Daniel in the movie. And basically, he's just Fonny's friend that um, you find out as, this, as the scene goes along, it's kind of two sp- scenes kind of split by one other scene in the middle where they get dinner. Um, but basically, he is talking about the fact that he had just gotten out of jail and he was talking to Fani about the fact of what jail did to him and how painful that was for him and how he was treated in jail and things that happened. And this is before Fani goes to jail. So in, this, in the timeline of events, so he's still not been in jail at this point. But I thought that was just a really well-acted scene. It's basically just the two of them, Brian Tyree Henry and Stefan James, just sitting at a kitchen table, drinking some beers, smoking some cigarettes and talking about this. But it really makes you... And there's really no music during that either, really just makes you pay attention, and it's just two great performances by two actors kind of in that five, ten minutes. I thought that was a really, really interesting part of the movie for Barry Jenkins to include because after that, Daniel doesn't really show up again. Brian Tyree Henry, he's really just there for that ten minutes, but kind of delivers one of the most, at least for me, memorable scenes of the movie as far as them talking about jail and crimes and um, how Brian Tyree Henry's character, Daniel, says, you know, I had marijuana in my car but I decided to take the stealing the car charge instead because it looked better on my record than having a charge for pot and all this interesting stuff that you really just hear them talk about. in that scene was, I thought was really great. Yes. So let's talk to a little bit, um, real quickly, just about the music in this movie before we hit on Barry Jenkins a little bit more, um, for directing, but the music in this movie was fantastic. Nominated for best score at the Academy Awards, did not win, lost to black Panther. Um, which is fine. Black Panther is a fantastic movie as well. Um, but I thought the music in this was, was really, really good. Um, it's by Nicholas Bratel. And just from the moment the movie starts, you get this so like sweeping music. And it sets you in the time of when this is set. And you just are instantly drawn to it. I think at least for me, I was. The music is the one thing, especially even when I saw the trailer when this came out. The music was the thing that, that caught me. And I was like, wow, that looks like it's going to be really good. Just from this, the score.
1: Yes, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I I think just because we these last few movies, I've loved the music so much because um, Us was so good. But if Beale Street was, Could Talk was my pick for musical score, that's what I wanted to win the Oscar. The music was just stunning. And I had listened to some of it before I saw the film. But when I was watching the film, I mean, it seemed like another character. And um, he has worked on – I know we had looked up um, other, uh, excuse mm-hmm. me, movies that he had worked on. Um, but Nicholas Bertel clearly just has a talent for making like emoting through music. Um, he made the music. I I wrote down that it was emotional, dramatic, and the music was as pretty as the scene that I was seeing in front of my eyes. So it just matched so well, Mm -hmm. the tone of the film. And I'm really a big fan of orchestra in general too, was in it for a long time. So I I love orchestra and orchestral classical sounding music is beautiful.
0: It's really got a great score, and we mentioned Nicholas Patel. He did um, the music for um, Barry Jenkins' other movie, Moonlight. He's done some stuff from Adam McKay, too, like Big Short, and uh, he did the music for Vice as well. So, yeah, he's definitely um, done some great music for some for some great movies where music is very important in the film. So, yeah. let's uh, finally, before we give our grades, let's talk about Barry Jenkins a little bit. Uh, Barry Jenkins is probably one of my favorite kind of young, up-and-coming directors. Um, I really like Moonlight. I really liked If Beale Street Could Talk, this movie. Um, He did a couple other movies before that that were smaller. Um, He did Medicine for Melancholy, which is a movie that didn't rod people really didn't see it was made on a very small budget but that was his first film back in 2008 and then it was eight years before he made moonlight which was a huge success and then uh, he directed an episode of dear white people and then he's done if beale street could talk and his next project is going to be directing all the episodes of a underground railroad tv series which is based on the book um that was so popular a couple years back it was an oprah's book club and won uh so many awards i think it won the pulitzer if i'm not um, mistaken. Um, so he's going to adapt that book into a TV series for Amazon and Amazon Video, which will be very cool to see. No word yet on when that comes out, but I think that'll be very cool to see him kind of go into the realm of TV um, where he has even more time to tell a story than just two hours or two and a half hours. So, um, But I love Barry Jenkins. I think he's a great, great young director. Um, and I think he captures, just one thing I wanted to mention that I wrote down, is, I think he captures human emotion so well. I don't know how you feel about that, Katie, but in Moonlight and in this movie as well. He just does such a great job of capturing actors' facial expressions and what they're kind of feeling and using so many nonverbal things to really tell you how the actors feel in this scene and how you should feel when you you watch his movies.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's what I was trying to say with the music. I think Barry does such a good job. You almost feel like you're watching emotion. I, I don't know a better way to say that, but it He also, I loved that there was no mention of what else was going on in the 70s. I felt like I was in Harlem with them. Mm -hmm. Like, I loved the story. I felt like I was a part of the family and I was sitting in the room in those uncomfortable situations or I was on the street and I had to be careful of like, oh, police officer or someone hitting on someone. Like, I just felt like I was it, it was intimate, like you were involved in everything going on. You didn't feel removed from it, which some movies you definitely do. So Barry has a definite talent for that.
0: Definitely. Um, and I wanted to point out too, there is, um, another podcast out there that a 24 does sometimes, not all the time. And the a 24 is a film company, if you don't know, but they did an episode with Barry Jenkins and Greta Gerwig, where they both kind of talk about their movies and is very interesting. If you like movies and you like us talking about movies, you'll enjoy that. So that's just, um, oh, I've got to listen to that. The podcast is just called the a 24 podcast. And it's the first episode that they did, um, which was about a year ago at this point, but I really enjoyed that. Um, and then Barry Jenkins also did um, an interview for another podcast I listen to called The Big Picture. Um, and he talks about if Beale Street could talk in depth. And if you want to hear him talk more about his film and his process and, and things like that, that's a really interesting interview as well. So those are two things to check out if you want to find out more that's about great. Barry Jenkins.
1: Thank you. That That's so great. I'm going to listen to it. And I did want to tell you, um, you were absolutely right. Colson Whitehead is the one that wrote The Underground okay. Railroad. He did win the Pulitzer Prize. Okay. And I, in a National Book Award, and then Carnegie Mellon for fiction. So those are all huge. But yes. I am definitely looking forward to reading that book before, because I know they didn't say when they're releasing it, but that book... Last year, I felt like everybody, you know, everybody this year is, uh, I feel like I see them holding Becoming by Michelle Obama in their hands. Yes. Last year, I felt like the book I saw everyone holding was The Underground Railroad. Was that
0: book, yes. So, So. I'm definitely
1: going (laughs) to read that before that comes out so that I feel prepared for it.
0: Yes, I need to read that as well. So, um, that's one thing that I need to check out, which I haven't gotten to yet, but definitely adding to my list. So, let's go ahead and give our grades for this movie. Um, My grade for this is going to be an 87 out of 100. So, really pretty high up. Up there really high 80s for this um i really enjoyed it um i think my only qualms with it might be that it is a little slow at times but i mean you kind of have to do that to build the characters and why you care about them and also barry jenkins is going off of a book which is not that long of a book so um there might be there are some slower moments in this which is one thing that i just thought of um and then also the first time i watched it Got it better since the second time I watched it Before we recorded this But the first time I watched it I was just kind of confused by the structure of it And trying to follow mm-hmm. the events So I think that could have been just laid out Maybe just a little bit better But I mean, the music's great The acting's great The script is great All that So my grade is an 87 out of 100 for this What would you give this one, Katie?
1: I would give it an 88 So, it's nice. um, I also, because I don't want to give every movie I'm trying not to give every movie like 100 Because <sighs> I just think that's going to sound silly And I'm really... I'm trying to be more critical. I think more critical than usual. I did. I wasn't so much bothered by the slowness, although I definitely know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the the nonlinear thing, that's great that you pointed that out. I didn't know that going into it. It didn't catch me off guard the whole time, but the first few times they switched back and forth, I was confused. Um, and also... This is no one's fault. I wouldn't even say it's James Baldwin's fault, but the fact that at the end there's not really resolution. No, there's really
0: not. That's hard
1: for me. <laughs> yeah, like it. Um, those usually, if a movie just doesn't have a resolution at the end, I have a very hard time watching it again. Like I'm kind of like, oh, or if, I, like I'm glad it wasn't. It really wasn't as depressing as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was kind of just at the end left. I felt like I wanted something else to happen at the end. It just kind of felt like it was a sweet kind of ending, but I, I just didn't feel like the characters, I knew where they were going. I felt like everybody was going to be fine, but but I didn't know how they were going to be fine. I didn't know emotionally how everybody was doing. So I think that's really the only reason, but the music is phenomenal. All the acting was good. I think all of those actors show promise. Regina King is ap- phenomenal. She's, she was my favorite in the film. Um, but I think Stefan and uh, Kiki were definitely going to see in the future as well, yes. but I really enjoy it. And I think now that it's on Hulu too, I think that people need to just take the time to see it too. Cause it, and I think it should have been nominated. That's yes. about it. But so, great movie worth a watch.
0: Check it out on Hulu. Um, once again, Katie's grade in 88, my grade in 87 for mm-hmm. if Beale Street could talk and because Bill Street is taught could talk is based on a book we wanted to give our top five films for you um, movies that are based on books so we kind of went through and basically if a movie had been based on a book at some point it could have been a nonfiction book a fiction book it could have had an exact title um, kind of transfer or it could have been something where it was based like um, the big short is one example like that book is not called the big short it's called something else I forget off the top of my head but um, stuff like that So basically anything that was based on a book applies for um, our top five top five films based on books. So I guess I will go ahead and uh, get started here with my number five of my top five movies based on books. And my number five on my list is uh, The Devil Wears Prada, which is based on a 2003 book. Um, The movie came out in 2006 and stars Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep and Emily Blunt and kind of one of her first things that she was in. Um, And I think the movie is really great. I think it's a fun watch. It's very funny um everybody in this movie has really good roles and does a really good job um in this film and so one of my um favorite movies based on books that i think is insanely rewatchable as well i think just because of its its humor and kind of the story that it tells and that it's not that long of a movie either it's a pretty quick watch at like an hour and a half so the casting in it is good and the script's good so that's that's my number five on the list is um the devil wears prada
1: Wow, Jared, I'm really pleased with that pick. <laughs> okay. I'm also kind of sad I didn't think of that. Like, didn't even occur to me. But excellent movie. I agree with you. It's incredibly rewatchable, and I did read the book and really enjoyed that book.
0: Okay, I my need,
1: number. Five. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm sorry. also
0: gonna say too, A lot of these are my favorite <laughs> movies that are based on books. I have, um. let's look here. I have not read the book for any of these five movies, so oh. I apologize.
1: No, that actually, that's hilarious because what helped me is if I thought of a movie that I hadn't read the book, I put it off my list. Okay. I wouldn't even allow it. So that's hilarious. So I did the opposite.
0: Okay. What's so your number five? Mine,
1: I'm not trying to cheat here, but my fifth one, I actually put the entire Harry Potter series. And the reason I did that <laughs> is if, if people pinned me down and were like, you have to pick a favorite. I'd probably pick the last movie just because yeah. I, I. some people were like, oh, it's getting so dark. I actually loved when it got really dark. I felt like that was more uh, realistic and indicative of what J.K. Rowling wrote. So I actually put that that those books, all of them were my favorite. But if I had to pick one, I'd pick the last book and I'd pick the last movie. Um, and starring Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson and Rupert Grant. And then I did uh, find a cool connection here. Alfonso Cuaron actually directed Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the third one. Um, he just won Best Director and Original Screenplay this year for Roma. So I thought, well, that's a fun little fact to throw yeah, in.
0: Yeah, from Harry Potter but love to Harry Roma.
1: Harry Oh, <laughs> love the message. Everything about Harry Potter. I am. I'm in it for all of my life.
0: That's number five. So my number four is um, a movie that stars Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio, who are two of my favorite actors, directed by Steven Spielberg, and that is Catch Me If You Can, Mm -hmm. which is based on a book by Frank Appignale Jr., which came out in 1980. And that is the character in the movie that Leonardo DiCaprio plays. Um, and basically, this is kind of like a con film. And they, it's just all about different cons, like posing as a fake pilot and uh, committing check fraud and everything like that, which is all very interesting. And the process of this movie getting made is also kind of interesting as well, because the book came out in 1980. And they're like, hey, we want to make a movie based on this book. So they started developing it in 1980, but it was kind of on hold till 1997. And then Spielberg's DreamWorks company brought the rights to it. And then like... David Fincher and um, Cameron Crowe and Gore Verbinski were all kind of candidates to direct this before Spielberg was like, you know what, I'm just gonna do it myself. Like we gotta <laughs> get this, mine. we gotta get this movie made. So um, this is a great movie if you haven't seen it. Leo and Tom Hanks are great. Christopher Walken's in this too, and Martin Sheen. Um, and it's a really fun movie, really interesting story. I love movies that tell interesting stories, and this definitely does. I have not read the book, but um, I do really love the movie. It's probably one of my favorite um, Spielberg movies, one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies. But I love it. Uh, Catch Me If You Can. So that's number four on my list.
1: Yes, uh, and that's an excellent pick. I'll see anything Tom or Leo make. We're best friends. Um, I didn't say, I should have said, so please excuse me. The Harry Potter books were written from 1997 to 2007. The movies were done from 2001 to
0: 2010.
1: Wonderful. So, yes, Jared and I talked before making this list, and I thought, well, Jared, if we do top five, I'm literally going to say the same five of the same list from last week. With the movies so i didn't do that but two of mine made it onto the book okay. list because they truly are two of my favorite books so number four is to kill a mockingbird the book was written in 1960 by harper lee she did just pass away recently in the last year or two um she won a pulitzer for to kill a mockingbird and she was born and raised in alabama and modeled the character scout in her life um, after her actual young life because her father was also a lawyer like atticus finch And of course, they made it into a movie in 1962 with Gregory Peck, Um, a young Robert Duvall played Boo Radley. And then Mary Badham plays Scout. She's now obviously a a middle-aged woman. And then another fun fact um, that might come up, another character might come up later in my list, hint, hint. Um, (laughs) Harper Lee was friends with Truman Capote. They were best friends their whole life. Okay. And uh, she co-wrote, she helped investigate so they could write the book in cold blood. But Truman Capote actually gets the credit for writing that book, which is also one of the best books I've ever read in my life. But if you do not like murder or graphic violence, do not read it.
0: Good to know. To Kill
1: a Mockingbird. Love To Kill a Mockingbird.
0: Coming in at number three on my list. I feel like this movie is kind of controversial. I feel like you either love it or you hate it. Um it is based on a 1964 book by Roald Dahl. Um and that is 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Not the 2005 adaption that has Johnny Depp in it. I think that one is trash. Um but the 1971 <laughs> the one the Gene With one. Gene Wilder is the one I'm <laughs> talking about. So, I love this movie. I watched this movie a bunch as a kid. Um I have now realized that there's a kind of some criticism with this movie as far as like Just Mm -hmm. the fact that kids kind of uh, die and you don't really see what happened to them and that Willy Wonka as a character is very interesting and there's some weird family dynamics in this as well. But I just thought it was a very cool idea that this man owned a chocolate factory and that he was giving a tour of this chocolate factory. Um, And I really like, like, I don't know. I really like movies that just kind of, like, have things happen in sequence, even books like that, too. So, it's like, okay, we're going to hold a contest, and then you win the golden tickets, and then we meet all the people that won the golden tickets, and they come to the factory, and they get to, like, explore it, and all this kind of stuff. So, I just really like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. How do you feel about this movie? Do you like it, or do you find it weird um, and creepy like some people do?
1: It is one that I found creepy for okay. most of my life. <laughs> I get the appeal. I think Gene Wilder was a comedic genius. I mean, it's... It, like the idea is nice but it it generally just creeped me out I wouldn't even waste my time with the Johnny Depp one cuz I was like this movie was too weird the first time I saw it Yeah but I respect your choice and that's what makes us interesting friends because yeah. we have different things Yeah I watched this a
0: bunch days. as a kid which I don't know what it says about me as a child or my childhood but I did watch oh, this at movie all. a bunch so um, it's also interesting too that like um, this movie was written by Roald Dahl, but mm-hmm. um, they brought in another guy to work on the screenplay, and he made like big changes to the ending and uh, added some musical numbers. And basically, Roald Dahl said, "I do not enjoy this film at all." So I thought that was very interesting—an adaptation that was made while the author was still alive, and the author is basically like, "I do not enjoy this adaptation. This is not what my book is like." So I thought that was very,
1: oh, I had very no idea. kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, um, I have not read Charlie and the—I uh, don't think i've read charlie and the chocolate factory i may have read it when i was a kid i don't remember um but that may be one that i have actually read but that's number three on my list willy walk in the chocolate factory from 1971 again not the 2005 one with johnny depp that's called charlie (laughs) and the chocolate factory and is very weird and And uh, is kind of just trash so yeah okay (laughs) moving on to your number three
1: My number three pick is the one I hinted at. Uh, It was a novella written by Truman Capote in 1958. It is Breakfast at Tiffany's. Wonderful. Um, So it is considered actually a novella. It's very short if you're looking for a good weekend read. Um, it's phenomenal. He this was then made into a movie in 1961 starring my favorite person ever, Audrey Hepburn and George Papard was the leading man in it. Um, he sold Truman Capote Capote sold this story to Harper's Bazaar for two thousand wow. um, in, dollars in 1958 and uh i looked up to see where it is now and it sounds like uh, according to the internet that a russian billionaire bought it in i think around 2018 they there were some conflicting reports but i couldn't tell if they were referencing the money or the time period it was bought but it was bought for three hundred six thousand dollars, so definitely uh made an investment there
0: yes and then
1: it follows the story of holly go lightly who is a society girl. And she is, by all accounts, um, if you really look into this and everything, she is an escort. She is not a prostitute. Um, But I also think this movie, because of the time period, they don't make it extremely obvious that she's an escort either. Um, But I read this phenomenal book called um, Fifth Avenue 5am. It is so, so good. It is completely a book filled with the making of breakfast at tiffany's the movie but it's one of the best books i've ever read so fascinating history but i the book is fantastic the novella and it's very short and truman capote was a genius and it was very different than in cold blood which was actually investigative reporting in a true story about murder and then you've got to kill a mockingbird about a lovely socialite in manhattan so there you have it
0: <laughs> have you seen the movie uh capote with philip seymour hoffman i oh, haven't of seen course. it but, okay of course you, you have okay Yes. I actually own it, and this is bad. This is going to sound bad, but I have, like, uh, 10, 12 DVDs that I own that I bought at some point at, like, Half Price Books or Walmart when they were on sale, and I just have uh-huh. not watched them yet. That is one. So I have it. Oh, I own that's it. okay. But I need to watch it. So um, that will probably be one that I try to get to soon. So
1: That's fine. But and I should know. let it's you good. know. When I when I reference these things I want to give people credit. That book I referenced it's by Sam Wasson, W A S S O N, and it's actually called Fifth Avenue 5 AM, Audrey Hepburn Breakfast at Tiffany's and the Dawn of the Modern Woman. But Very it's cool. a great if you're obsessed with Audrey like I am or you want to know about how they made that film, she was not the first choice and a lot of people <laughs> were really angry and now it's become this iconic character that at least one woman at every Halloween party dresses yes. as Audrey from Breakfast at Tiffany's.
0: So, my number two on the list is a uh, 1996 novel. The movie came out in 1999 directed by David Fincher and starring Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, and that is Fight Club. Uh, I think Fight Club is a very interesting film. Um, I did not see this, obviously, when it came out because I was six, so wasn't really old enough to see Fight Club at that point, but I saw it later in life uh, on DVD, and I own the DVD, and I think it's a really interesting movie that i think the more times you watch it the more things that you pick up on um and david fincher uh, does a great job directing this and brad pitt edward norton and helena bottom carter are all in this and jared leto as well for a little while um a young jared leto um so i think it i think it's really interesting movie though and this wasn't a huge like success in theaters but really got a cult following um later on and i think it's just kind of a an interesting movie and i think a really good movie kind of a cultural movie that stands out a lot and that would be. Fight Club coming in at number two.
1: Jared, I knew that would be on your list, and I have read the book by Chuck Palin. I think it's Palanick. Is that how you actually? I think so. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to want embarrass to butcher myself. Butcher it.
0: I'm sorry. But I have Chuck.
1: read the book, and the book was good. And I've seen the movie. I I don't know a lot of women. Um, my at least my girlfriends that like the movie. I quite enjoyed it, and I also enjoyed the book. So I think Fight Club's great.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. It's a movie that definitely doesn't is not trying to make you feel comfortable. Um, it's definitely trying to keep you on edge and has tension the whole time. And then there's a mm-hmm. twist at the end, which I won't. Speak. Spoil for you if you haven't seen right. it right we we'll it. um but it is really good and you should definitely check it out at least once just to see brad pitt and edward norton kind of early on in their careers as actors um and david fincher is kind of early on in his career too as a director so it's kind of everybody yeah. young in their career is really doing a, a really great movie so
1: um and good lord we we wore out the um crush alert alarm last yes. time so i won't use it this okay. time but uh there's about three or four movies that brad pitt I it's like Robert Redford and all the presidents (sighs) like there's there's three or four movies where Brad Pitt I'm like if he just stayed like this forever he's not aging anyway but Fight Club is one of his oh yes Fan yourself (laughs) it's so good okay so my moving on (laughs) number my number number two. two pick is also on my favorite movie list it is Gone with the Wind written in 1936 by Margaret Mitchell um and then it was made into a movie in 1939 Won the Academy Award. It swept the awards. Um, Still one of the best movies, considered to be one of the best movies of all time. Um, The book, though, also won a Pulitzer Prize. Margaret Mitchell was an Atlanta native. And I haven't been to her house in Atlanta, but I used to live in Savannah. And you could definitely tell that she, the book that she wrote really reflected where she grew up, the entire state of Georgia as well. And she had a horrible, untimely death. I just wanted to say, she got hit by a car. Oh, and lived for a couple days but had extensive brain damage and then died. So super sad. Uh, But on a lighter note, (laughs) she wrote this phenomenal book. Oh, my gosh. I've got to stop using that word. I've said it about everything today. But the book is glorious, and the movie is just as good. I really think that they kind of rival each other in how good they are. And I think it was nice to see it on film because although the book is fantastic and makes perfect sense to me, And I've only read it a handful of times. I think seeing it up on a screen actually did clear some things up. Uh, They did take some liberties, Hollywood did, but I think they actually had to because the book is over a thousand pages long, at least the version I have is. Um, So there's no way you could make that. So no wonder the movie is three hours long.
0: (laughs) Yes. Gone with the wind coming in number two on your list. So... (laughs) My number one is a movie that came out in 1980, and uh, is based on a book that came out in 1977 by Stephen King. And this is the movie that I watch every Halloween. And I don't really love horror movies as a genre, but I really enjoy this movie. And that is The Shining with Jack Nicholson. Um, he is he is in this. Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd plays the kid, um, and. I think this is just a really interesting movie. I have not read the book by Stephen King, but I do really like the movie that Stanley Kubrick did, even though I'm not really a fan of Stanley Kubrick either. Um, It's kind of an odd one out, but I watch this every year at Halloween, um, and I think it's still creepy to this day, and I think definitely back in 1980, it would have been very creepy to see, especially in theaters or you know on home video or whatever. Um, It's one of the first movies to use Steadicam, which is kind of interesting because there's a lot of shots of that in this movie, Um, and there's a lot of different edits of this movie as well and a lot of talk about what things in the movie mean and um, kind of, you know, the response um, by Stephen King is he pretty much liked it. Um, but he said it was also a little bit of a poor adaptation. He's like, it had it was memorable, but it was a poor adaptation. So I don't know how you handle that quote from Stephen King. But um, he didn't love this adaptation. Um, but I think this is a really cool movie and Jack Nicholson is great in it. And it's a really great horror movie to watch and obviously has a lot of... Um, you know, big famous lines and famous scenes and things like that. So The Shining is number one on my list. How do you how do you feel about that pick? Did you think That's I was great. going there? Okay. <laughs> I
1: did it. Well, when you said it, I thought, oh, is he... Because I had a couple runner-ups, which I wasn't okay. going to mention. But the one runner-up I really considered was Misery. Okay. Because I loved Misery. I hadn't read it till this year. And then I immediately watched the movie. I'd never seen the movie either. And I really loved both. So I thought you were going to mention that, but *The Shining* is, I think, absolutely one of the creepiest movies I've ever seen. Um, and I, I think that's a great pick. I don't know that my number one pick is. I think mine's kind of weird, anyway. Okay. So.
0: And I also should mention. I don't mention- think it's weird.
1: It's not weird to me.
0: Yes. Okay, what is, your, what is your number one? My
1: number one pick for a book made into a movie is The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, okay. And the specific <laughs> one I'm talking about, there have been so, so many. <laughs> many movies because it's considered a literary classic. So everyone has made it over and over and over. But the one I am obsessed with is the 2002 version with Jim Caviezel, Guy Pearce, and Sir Richard Harris right before he died. Um, but the book was written in 1844- by Alexandre Dumas, and I think that's hilarious because I've mentioned Shawshank. I always will favorite movie, but he actually <laughs> says Alexandre Dumas in the film, so that's incorrect. It's uh, that's not how you say it. It's French, um, but I I actually I think it's funny too. You had all these great specific tidbits about movies, and I looked up things that were specific about the books.
0: Yes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but I wanted to mention that I thought was so interesting about Dumas. He was actually born, um, he was biracial, which I knew this, but his father was a French nobleman and his mom was an Afro-Caribbean slave. So I don't know the circumstances. I don't know if they were married. I don't know if it was not supposed to happen. Um, But I know that that was something he kind of brought up in some of his stories, which is cool because I think that made him feel shunned at some points and then also very uh, wealthy and noble at other times. So what an interesting background! And he also gave us the Three Musketeers. So I don't think a lot of people remember no. that he wrote yeah. both of those. Um, but the Count of Monte Cristo, the movie, is fantastic. I could watch that movie every day. I considered putting it on my favorite movie list, but it didn't beat the other ones. Um, but Jim Caviezel as Edmond Dantes—I don't think anyone could have played it better. Although I haven't seen all the the adaptations. Um, Guy Pierce is the worst. He is just the most <laughs> evil villain. You just want him to die so bad. Um, and then, uh, actually, I, I should probably check the um, oh, the female in it. And I should have had this. It was on the tip of my tongue, but I, I will look it up. Give me one second. But the the movie is exceptional. And I wanted to mention the wife because one second. I'm sure. so sorry, everyone. How embarrassing. Oh, Dagmara Dominowska. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying that right. She plays um, Mercedes, who he falls in love with. She is married in real life to Patrick Wilson, who you've seen in everything. I mean, he's in Watchmen. He he's he's uh, um, he he's was in, in all
0: kinds of stuff. The Count,
1: the Phantom of the Opera. He was the <laughs> I don't want to say juicy guy, but. <laughs> But um, Dagmar is married to him in real life. And then her sister is an actress and she's in like Grey's Anatomy and stuff. She's married to Scott Foley. Like their whole family is like married to
0: Hollywood. Patrick Wilson Um, is in a lot of like, if you've seen The Conjuring and Insidious. He was in Fargo, which is really good. He was in
1: Girls. And he's very attractive and very talented. (laughs) So I'm sorry. I just had to mention that because she's wonderful in her own right, too. I mean, she's been in quite a few things. um, But I everybody in that film is just fantastic um and louise guzman he plays jacopo he's kind of like the sidekick character he is in so many um different movies i actually just saw the bone collector this weekend and he was in that too so he's been in hollywood movies but he's always kind of like a sidekick character and then henry cavill uh what this was the first movie i ever saw him in because he's a kid he's like 13 or 14 yeah
0: years he's old so young <laughs>
1: So I actually, I would like to let everyone know I knew about him before everybody else because I was sitting at home watching Count of Monte Cristo over and over. Before he was Superman,
0: Um, he was in this. Yeah, before
1: he was Superman and bulked up. But he was a cute (laughs) young, he was a cute teenager too. But the movie is so great. I think it's a lot of the lessons I really love. It's again, (laughs) like Shawshank, a person that's falsely imprisoned by his jealous friend, um, and then he actually gets a hold of a treasure. That's how he becomes a count. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but it is a literary classic. Such a good book. And uh, withstands the test of time. And the movie is fantastic, too. So please go see it. But see the 2002 edition. Nice.
0: Yes, there's so many. I just Wikipedia searched it. And there's so many editions of this. So good. thank (laughs) you for clarifying.
1: It was like 20 plus.
0: Yeah. Thank you for clarifying the 2002. So (laughs) you're um, welcome. (laughs) We'll just run down our top five again real quick. So um, my number five, Devil Wears Prada. Four, Catch Me If You Can. Three, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Two, Fight Club. And number one, The Shining. And then just give your top five one more time.
1: Mine is Harry Potter, the entire series. <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Gone with the Wind, and Count of Monte Cristo, the 2002 version.
0: Cool so uh one more thing real quick before we wrap up is we just wanted to share with you kind of the upcoming movies that are coming out that we will probably be reviewing on this show um we wanted to let you know too for the next episode since we'll kind of be in that gap between avengers endgame and like summer movie stuff coming out we're probably going to do a classic film we don't know what yet but probably something that is either very um we haven't seen both of us haven't seen or might be on one of the streaming services or we'll research that a little bit more so sorry we don't know what we're going to do next but
1: it's exciting you'll have- it'll be a
0: surprise Um, yes so um for our upcoming kind of review schedule obviously avengers endgame is coming out in a few weeks it's probably going to be the biggest movie of the year uh but here's the thing uh katie has not really seen (laughs) any of the marvel movies except
1: challenging myself
0: for black panther
1: of the podcast
0: So, um, what I have told her, and what if you want to offer suggestions too, feel free to tweet at us at Podcast Silver or hit us up on Facebook, Silver Screen Podcast. Um, What I suggested is to watch maybe just the Avengers movies, the three that have come out, and then maybe if you want to hit like the original movies for the the fab four i call them of maybe Mm -hmm. hulk iron man captain america and thor if you want to watch those and the three avengers movies that's like seven movies you got to watch but i think you'll have a pretty good idea of kind of what happens at that point so um obviously if you want to watch them all in order great but that's a lot of movies to watch before we we hit our review in the next couple weeks so
1: (laughs) but i usually like to go go hard in the paint like i try to (laughs) do the full thing i don't want to just be like oh i i joked watched it through a few movies and then i showed up okay so i i'll do my best for the benefit of the podcast
0: i will tell you a lot of them are on um netflix um, yes not all of them but i think there is a fair amount that are on netflix or hulu um and i think you have hbo go too right so
1: no but i'm about to get it okay. again because game for of thrones. Thrones. thrones okay
0: so i think there's someone the there remembers. too members
1: and it's and winter is coming jared <laughs>
0: Well, it's wonderful. coming on Sunday. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I have not. I have not really seen any Game of Thrones, and I oh. uh, feel bad that I'm not involved in that culturally. But uh,
1: <laughs> that's a whole other podcast.
0: Long live Jon Snow. That's a thing, right? <laughs> I mean, he hosted yes. SNL a couple of weeks ago. He was funny. So yeah. Okay. Um. So, Avengers: Endgame. We are going to review yeah. it probably by the middle of May because uh, we got to give Katie time to one catch up, and then the first there week it's in theaters. We didn't buy tickets in advance, so we're basically just uh planning on the fact that the first week all the showings are going to be sold out because yeah. it's That's so the way popular. It's got to be.
1: Yeah. So
0: we're gonna do that. Avengers: Endgame. We're also gonna do. Um, Aladdin, which comes out in May with Will Smith as the very controversial genie. Interested to see what what actually (laughs) happens in that film. Uh, Dumbo, which just came out a couple weeks ago, was not received very well as a Disney live action film. Um, So we'll see what they do with Aladdin. So that comes out uh, in middle of May. So we're going to see that. We're also going to do Rocketman, the Elton John kind of biopic with Taron Egerton. I really enjoy... um, Uh, Elton John's music, so I'm excited to see this movie. Um, Katie, I think you feel the same way. This is going to be kind of an interesting film.
1: Extremely, and I love, love, love Richard Madden, who was Rob Stark on Game of Thrones, and he is in uh, rocket man so i'm pumped yes he plays i think he's um he's, elton john's boyfriend yeah
0: john reed so yeah uh jamie bell is in it as bernie toppin who obviously elton john wrote a ton of stuff with right and then bryce dallas howard is also in this as well which i did not know she's not it's really been be in great. any of the trailers. so yeah that comes out into may so we're gonna go see that and check that one out and uh see see how it is also fun fact about that um justin timberlake originally the top choice that elton john wanted to play him in that film <gasps> Did not happen. Went to Taron Edgerton. Oh, my heart! Man, that movie that just makes me feel like the movie with JT would have been such a different movie. So
1: it really would have been. Although the crush alert button would have been just nonstop for an entire episode of the. Then after
0: JT didn't want to do it, uh, Tom Hardy was set to do it. Which no, no
1: No. hard pass. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, Tom Hardy, you have a specific kind of character you play in movies. You don't play Bane. Usually Me a bad guy. Bane or in. Venom or somebody. Yeah. Um, I don't, I Thank you, next. couldn't see you playing Elton John. So, fun tidbits <laughs> about that movie. So, it seems like this movie has been through a lot of development and some interesting things. So, we'll see if it's any good or not. And uh, it's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who I don't know oh. what he... Oh, he did Band of Brothers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No,
1: but he just did... Oh, gosh, guys. Now you had to throw oh, that. Yeah. No, we he just, just
0: replaced Brian Singer he, on Bohemian that's Rhapsody. What
1: was. That's what it was.
0: So I he did not <laughs> get any credit for that, even though oh. um, he got executive producer credit, but he didn't get directing credit because of weird directors guild. Uh, things. Wow. So, but Jerry, do you know more than I do? Uh this is really just Wikipedia. So well, great job, Wiki. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> um okay, so we're gonna do Rocket Man, we're gonna do Aladdin. Then coming up in June, we have probably my most anticipated movie of the year because I love this franchise, and that's Toy Story Four. So yes. Toy Let's Story Four to is coming out in June. Also, i um, really interested to see if anybody dies in Toy Story 4. Don't want it to happen, but we'll see if it does. Um, I mean, everybody's concerned about who's going to die in Avengers and um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. But, <laughs> I mean, like Buzz Lightyear could bite the bullet in Toy Story 4. So we will see. It's coming out June 21st. Um, then a couple weeks after that, we have what's going to be a huge movie this summer. And they just released a new trailer for this the other day. And that is the live action adaptation of The Lion King. Coming out in July, so um, we're pumped. I think we're both, it's fair to say we're both pumped for this, so. Yeah, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, end of July that comes out, I think the week after The Lion King. Probably smart that they didn't go against each other in the same weekend right. Nice move. Uh, movie studios for separating yourself. So um, they'll do
1: all the Disney merriment and then it'll be serial killer.
0: And then it'll be dark. Um, yes, because then we'll get into August and September and, um, kind of moving down the road. So obviously that's subject to change. And if a big movie pops up that comes out, um, like there's some movies coming out in July and August that look good, but we still don't really have any trailers for them or anything. Um, so we're just kind of waiting on those. Um, so there's one Mm -hmm. that I mentioned earlier as we were getting ready for this, that has Melissa McCarthy, um, Tiffany Haddish and Elizabeth Moss in it, and they play, like, FBI agents or something. So um, I don't know if it's supposed to be a comedy or, like, a drama, but um, it looks very interesting. It's called The Kitchen, and it comes out later this summer. So they play the lives of Irish mobsters. So very <laughs> interested. And Commons in that, and Damal Gleeson and Margo Martindale. So we'll, we might check that out when it comes out. Uh, but again, yeah. there's been no trailer for that. Nothing comes out in August, so who knows? Uh,
1: Until then, I'll be watching all of the all Marvel of the Marvel
0: movies. movies. So
1: every single one.
0: Uh, Katie so. will be exhausted on the Avengers Endgame episode because <laughs> she'll have watched all the Marvel movies. And when we record our next episode, I'll probably check in with you and see how much progress you've made, what you've what you've you seen, will. what you haven't seen. So. Uh, We want to let you know that you can follow the podcast on Twitter, as we've mentioned, at Podcast Silver. You can also like us on Facebook. Just search Silver Screen Podcast. Always love a Facebook like. Um, And you can listen to this podcast on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Stitcher. iPhone app. iPhone app. Uh, Tune in. Kind of basically anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. Um, And you can also, if you need to, just check out Facebook and Twitter. The direct links to the episodes go there as well. So you can always find them on the Facebook and Twitter pages if you're having trouble finding them somewhere else. But uh, Katie, thanks so much for today This was a fun chat about Peel Street And top five movies based on books And kind of what we're going to review in the next couple weeks So uh, we thank you for listening
1: Thank you, until next time We'd like to thank the Academy